and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Julie Crane, who is a senior lecturer in nursing at the University of Liverpool and also the founding director of Mary's Place. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. Why did you choose nursing? Oh, gosh, that's it. That is going back a long way. Um, I, I was one of those people, really, who probably always was going to be a nurse. You know, sort of from, from being small, I was in, in the Red Cross um, and I used to go out to do first aid kind of events and that kind of thing. As I got into my more teenage years, I did think about doing other things. I thought about social work and I thought about psychology. Um, but no, it, I, I was just always drawn to, to being a nurse, really. Um, your previous experience, so you've worked in a lot of different clinical areas um, and, and you've also worked as a clinical research nurse and a clinical governance facilitator. Um, I'm sure lots of people are maybe a bit unsure about clinical research positions or being involved in clinical governance. Have you got any advice for anyone um, that's maybe looking at a role similar or, or interested in starting something like that? Yeah, just well, I mean, it sounds obvious, but anyway, just find out more about it. Um, and and if, it, if it feels right, don't be frightened to take the leap. I mean, my my first research job, and this might sound really, really silly, but it's 100% true. Um, I didn't realise it was a research job when I applied for the job. It, it was advertised, and this wasn't as a clinical research um, nurse. This was a, as a research assistant. But the job was advertised as a practice nurse facilitator. And at the time, I, I was really interested in education. So I sort of noticed the facilitation, the education parts of the job. I'd done um, maybe a couple of years, maybe, as a practice nurse. And then I'd sort of thought, oh, this, this feels like it's bringing, bringing two things together. I'll apply for it. And I honestly didn't know. Well, but the bit I didn't read, basically, was the fact that it was actually a research assistant's job. Oh, so, wow. so that's completely <laughs> different to the title. Oh. Bonkers. But I mean, if, I, if I'd if i have actually had a degree at that point, that would have been a perfect PhD project for me. Mm. And at the time that my, my supervisor kept saying to me, you, you, you should register for a PhD. And I kept saying, but I haven't got a degree because I came into nursing through sort of the traditional route. So it was a total missed opportunity in many ways. But at the time, because I didn't I didn't know what it was about, I didn't realise what I'd missed. Um, it was a great job. So I suppose in terms of lessons learned, well, read the job description, but, but equally... <laughs> if something does turn out to be different to what you expect, I mean, I absolutely loved that role. And in fact, that opened the door to me, to me then doing my master's in research. And actually, that opened my door to then becoming a clinical research nurse, which was a very different role to that of a research assistant. But, you know, just sort of by taking that chance, it, um, it opened up avenues that I never, never thought were available to me. And also sometimes yeah, we might discount ourselves. You might have read that and gone, oh, I can't do that. Or, you know, I don't have a degree. I don't oh, have yeah. a research master's um, before. And you'd have completely written that off for something that you just couldn't have done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've done that before when looking for jobs as well. You know, it, it's so easy to to think about what you can't do instead of just sort of taking a little step back and thinking, oh, hold on, can I? You know, what, what would it take to get me from point A to point B? You know, is it completely outside of anything that I've ever done before or have I got some transferable skills that might just be able to to make themselves available that's how I've always approached things yeah and I think in nursing I think we can discount ourselves really easily and also maybe have 
a bit of a different view of how you get into different roles or how you get into different jobs or what experience you need. And actually, yeah, by not looking at that transferable abilities and the really complex skills that we have from lots of different jobs. Um, yeah. Yeah, we actually shouldn't write ourselves off. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you've also been um, a secondment as a centre manager um, for a research centre at Liverpool Head and Neck Centre. How did you find going into a secondment and being a centre manager within that role? Um, I loved it. Is 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 the short version? Yeah, it just that 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 kind of role came about just at a time when I'd been in the university then, probably about fifteen years, maybe. I'd I'd done a lot. I've been head of department. I'd been you know I sort of I'd. I felt like I'd been around the block quite a bit. You know, I think things weren't particularly fresh for me anymore, in in a sense. Um, and that opportunity came up, and again, that was just something that I just spotted. And to be fair, I could easily have not followed that job description up, but it just sort of hit me at a time when you know one of those things when you're not really looking for a job, but you just spot something and think, yeah. God, that's interesting. But, yeah, that was how that one came about. Um, so it was like an absolute complete change for me, like just a total complete change because from a um, an academic point of view I, I went from being an academic member of staff to being a professional services member of staff so sort of more on the, on the managerial side so that was a, a change in itself what I loved about it was the opportunity to get back a little bit more sort of facing with um, clinicians and to a lesser degree with patients I say a lesser degree actually I have been working with patients but really with our with our patient group that supports the um, uh, re- research side of Little Head and Neck Centre so, so yeah, it was a real kind of diversion from what I had been doing. But what what has been brilliant, and I, I have I, just, I took it as a comment. I was there for two years. I've gone back into my teaching. It's massively informed how I teach. It's changed everything. It it, it really really has. Um, I've just met some really fantastic people. And I suppose what I've learned more than anything during that role is is really watching different styles of leadership play out. Um, and why that was interesting to me was because for, for many years, whilst I've been at the university, I've nearly always taught leadership um, to, to undergrads, postgrads, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's been really, really good to be able to fill my toolkit again, sort of mm-hmm. seeing how, how other people lead. Um, and I've really drawn upon that in my teaching this last couple of years whilst I've been back. That's interesting because that might not have been something that you'd have expected that you take back into teaching from oh yeah that's the comment completely and of course I, I was just just by chance I, I started there in November 19th so of course I was there through Covid yeah, etc um and then when I came back into teaching it was weird you know I had all all my slides prepared that I'd done for years and obviously you know, I, I update but essentially I know what I'm doing yeah. and I it, it came to the Friday before I was due to deliver on the Wednesday and I just thought I can't do it yeah. I can't I can't do what I've always done. The world has changed, I've changed. And actually one of the key things was I'd just been exposed to all these different kinds of, of, of leadership. So we're thinking more about compassionate leadership, authentic leadership, all these sort of newer things that previously I would have touched on a little bit, but not really made not really paid a masses of attention to, probably because I hadn't really seen it in action. But actually having been on the receiving end of that kind of leadership, it's like, oh my God. This is how we got to sort of somehow try and change the world and make this happen. So it felt really inauthentic to go back to simply doing what I'd done previously. You know, I mean, obviously I followed the module spec. So in some ways it was the same, but fundamentally from my heart, it was different. 
Yeah, yeah. And it worked. It worked. So that was last year. Um, and then this year I'm sort of so I'm building on what I started last year and, and taking a very similar approach. Although luckily this year the students have actually got a timetable well in advance because now I know exactly the order in which I'm doing things. Last year yeah. they just had to um play along with me a little bit as I as I figured it out. Yeah. And I, I was actually saying this to my colleague because um like before COVID and before the pandemic, we wouldn't we would have touched on not touched on but we'd have gone into vaccines and age of vac- you know that that would have that's part of our teaching but we wouldn't necessarily have stressed so much about vaccine hesitancy or engagement with yeah. different healthcare or people's perception on healthcare or their engagement with swabbings and test results and you know kind of the misinformation or lots of different information that's been available you know all throughout the last few years and that's something now that I've spent a lot of time talking about in class yeah and it was similar it was very interesting so it was like part of the module spec you know still still the same content but actually our focus can change so much can't it um yeah. and that's what makes it fresh isn't it you know it's, it's important to do that we can't keep changing you know the, the fundamental stuff every every couple of years because of all the processes we go through to make some changes but actually if they're written in such a way as you can bring in newer things it's a uh, it's great keeping it fresh yeah it is um and you've done a lot of of postgraduate study what advice have you got for anyone that wants to study at that level i would say and this is probably no it's it's, it's probably what what i've told myself but it's what i tell students all the time do not tell yourself that you're not academic i get fed up of hearing that phrase from people you know what and the first thing i say when, when someone says that to me is what do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean that you're not academic? Particularly when they're sat there on a master's programme, you know, yeah. what, what is making you think you are not academic? You know, what, you why, do, <laughs> why do you think you can't do this? And also on our undergraduate programmes for that matter as well. And it's often just a story that people are telling themselves. But, you know, I don't know, they they, they wrote a poor essay as a child and yeah. were told they weren't well. a very good writer or, you know, whatever it was, Um and for me, I think I, I don't know whether I, I held those beliefs or not, really. But if I didn't, I probably could have done in as much that, you know, at school, I didn't do brilliantly well. I certainly I failed my A-levels. I, I wouldn't have got into onto my nursing programme now. But at the time I did nursing, you didn't need A-levels. So that probably impacted on my poor results to an extent because I didn't bother studying for them because I didn't need them. So does that mean I'm not academic? You know, since then I've... I've done many more things that I would say have proven that I am academic. But even I say that and I've pulled a little face then thinking, God, I can't even believe I'm saying that about myself. But they're just all stories that you tell yourself. You know, as nurses, we are we're problem solvers. We're critical thinkers. Yeah. We, we read a lot. We think about situations. We think outside of the box. You know, what about that isn't academia? Yeah, yeah, literally. You know, Um so yeah, and, and enjoy it. I mean, I so my, my first degree that I did because I came in through the traditional route was was that master's in health research that I mentioned to you before. I absolutely loved it, and and what I see when I'm teaching master's students is it's just brilliant because it's there's real there's a real like reality to it. So they're bringing very very real situations from practice, bringing their set that themselves and how they are. And then we're looking at the evidence, looking at the empirical data, looking at the theory and sort of trying to make some sense from all that. So I would I would really hope they enjoy it rather than be frightened of it. Mm. And I think lots of postgrad, oh, I found my own postgrad education and with the intensive care, you know, nurses that I teach is that it's their comfort zone. It's their speciality. It's their 
they're interested in it and they know why they want to do it and they're they're not just kind of passive participants in the education yeah. it's a really and it might be because of money you know I've paid this much to sit here and do this 30 credit module so I'm going to get as much as I can out of this you know 11 12 weeks um and I always found a lot more confident weirdly all my postgrad stuff than I did my undergrad and if I probably I, I'd been one of those people undergrad that went oh I'm, I'm not I'm not that academic and actually after now I can actually sit there in all the different masters modules that I've done and go actually here I am like this is my area of yeah well, speciality of knowledge yeah absolutely and, and and don't be afraid to own that mm. you know that's because I think sometimes we are as nurses aren't we we sort of we, we we hold back a little bit from what from what we do know and just it's too easy just to go oh no no that, that, that's nothing that's nothing but we're not we're not doing ourselves as a profession a favor by speaking like that you know and so many other professions don't do they in fact no. doing the opposite um in every way really yeah yeah no we, we need to own it and what advice have you got for anyone that's looking at a research master's or is thinking that that might be something that they're interested in studying? Have you got any advice for them? Um, I would definitely say go go and talk to the course provider and find out what it is that they're getting into. And I think the, the reason why I'm saying that is um, I know, so obviously, you know how I got into research now, I can by default, then I did that master's in health research. And so in a sense, I was learning to be a researcher. That That's actually very different to a clinical research nurse job. And I, I don't think I realised that when I went into the clinical research nurse job, which, which I absolutely loved, by the way. But it was a very different job that was a hands on seeing the patients, recruiting them to studies um taking bloods getting things organized for them looking through study protocols etc it wasn't writing study protocols certainly not where I was working anyway and I know that some nurses do do that and that, that's absolutely brilliant but I think it's just sort of been really really clear what the focus is and making sure that is something that that you want so for example if you were a clinical nurse um researcher then potentially doing a a master's that was very methodologically focused that might not be what you actually want to do. You know, there are some more sort of clinical research masters around. So it's just about being, but they're not all the, not all the same, basically. So think about what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it, um, what the end point will be for you, because it is a lot of work. But, but like we've both said, if it's, the, if it's the right course for you, you really, really enjoy it. So, so spend time making sure that it's the, it appears to be the right one for you. Really good advice. Um, and you've mentioned about different types of leadership and the leadership teaching that, that you do. What advice have you got for anyone who's currently in a leadership role? Oh, look after yourself. This has been, this has probably been like that, that bit of a, a twist that I had um, last year that, and it was definitely a focus that I'd not particularly put hardly any um, weight on previously. And and I'm thinking here of, so of course you, you asked about people in leadership roles, so I'll come to that in, in a moment, where, where I sort of got to my train of thought was thinking about these third year students and just recognising how difficult it is out in practice at the moment. And sort of, I was putting myself in their shoes in a way, thinking they, they'll be looking at me, thinking, what the, what's she talking about? You know, it's a nightmare out there, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, actually, and at a time when they feel like they have got very limited influence, authority, control, the one thing that they can do is look after themselves. Mm -hmm. 
and then sort of taking that further and thinking about self-leadership and really getting to know themselves, getting to become really self-aware, um, recognising that all that kind of then plays into this idea about being resilient, which I, I struggle with in some ways because it's not about making the, the staff resilient to be able to cope with absolutely everything. We've got to try and fix the stuff around us that, that needs to be sorted out. And that's not necessarily the, the domain of those who are in the more junior positions. But whilst all this is going on, what they can be doing is looking after them. And I think that is just so so really important. And then in terms of people who are in a leadership role, I mean, I, I argue all the time that all of us as nurses, no matter what role you're in, you are in a leadership role to some extent. You know, you're, you're an advocate for your, for your patients, you're supporting a small group of staff, etc. Um, but I think I think one of the key things for me is just about really being human. You know, and I, I was a I was a leader of Wood Manager a long time ago. I'm not entirely sure I was always very, very human. I think I was very, um, very nervous in my role, and really felt that weight of the responsibility, took it all very seriously, which obviously you do have to take it seriously. But I think in doing that, I sort of lost a little bit of just being me and just being human. And I think that's perhaps what I learned when I saw some excellent leadership at Little Head and Neck Centre, that people were just they, they were just real authentic leadership that you know you just you, you you know who you are you know what you stand for um and putting other people first you know that, that, that kind of idea of listening more than you speak as a leader I think that's so so massively important and again I think reflecting back on, on when I've been a leader I don't think I have always done that you know because you have felt under pressure to to perform to get things done but actually you know listening to people is really really important Depending on, on your role, I think if you are in a role where you've got a more sort of overt leadership role, I think there's something about trying to keep that sense of your vision. And I wish I'd recognised that earlier in, in my career, you know, kind of thinking, what what is the overall goal here? What's the North Star? You know, I think when you've got a good sense of that, then you're better able to bring people with you. And it also, it will help making tricky decisions easier, because actually, you know where it is that you're headed ultimately. So you're not sort of scattergun all over the place. That's often one of the criticisms of leaders, isn't it, that they're not not consistent mm -hmm. in the decision making. But actually, if you've got that, that North Star, you, you know what it is that you want for your patients or for your, your clinical area or whatever area it is that, that you're working in, then then that is going to help your decisions be be more consistent. And do you mind telling us about Mary's Place? Uh, yes, it's not my, my pleasure to talk about Mary's Place. Thank you. Um, so this is a, a new venture that I've set up in the last few months um, where it's come from in terms of the name Mary's Place. I, I experienced a bereavement in January 2020 when, when my daughter died. Her name was Mary Lou. And I was always, from the very, very early days of grief, and this might sound really silly, but I was determined to create something called Mary's Place, but I didn't know what Mary's Place was. Um, so it was a little bit of a play on her name. Obviously, her friends called her Mary. I always called her Mary Lou. We, we also, we both liked Bruce Springsteen, and he's got a great song called Mary's Place, Meet Me at Mary's Place. So I've just had this thing buzzing around my head now for, you know, three and a half years. And it was actually last year um, when I was teaching those third year students that sort of the penny dropped in terms of, actually what I could do with this idea so so since since Mary Lou had died I've um kind of thrown myself into lots of different holistic therapies so um Reiki massage um all sorts of 
all sorts of weird and wonderful things that have been really, really helpful in, in my in my grief journey, in a sense. Um, and what I realised when I met those third year students last year, kind of thinking about the, the difficulties that I know students face when they first become newly qualified nurses, I linked that then with some academic research I've done as part of my PhD, this idea about the theory of liminality or being betwixt and between places. And I kind of thought, wow, like when, when Mary Lou died and it was devastating, et cetera, et cetera. I was then most definitely in a liminal space where, where it's a bit of a sink or swim in a sense. Um, and hopefully at least for now I've been swimming and I was kind of thinking about the students and thinking, yeah, when when they move into their first job, they're going to be very much in that liminal space, that idea of sort of sink or swim, feeling betwixt and between. I wonder whether some of the tips and tricks that have got me through these last three and a half years, will I be able to use them to help them to navigate their liminal space? So in a sense, like the underpinning, so the underpinning theory, if you like, is about liminality. Uh, a real kind of a practical level it really is if I can get through that as in the loss of a child you can get through this <laughs> you know <so. laughs> yes it does feel scary etc etc but so so the really the remit of Mary's place then became to support newly qualified nurses I just um through meditation which has been a key thing for me this last couple of years I sort of came up with this, this acronym, GRACE. So that, that underpins what we do at Mary's Place. So we offer gratitude, we reflect, as nurses, we're always reflecting anyway. So we're, we're building upon that, that reflective skill. We talk about awareness. So we think about that in terms of self-awareness. There's a connectedness. So there's a, a group, that kind of community um, feel to what we do at Mary's Place. And then the E stands for empowerment. And the idea of that being that things that we offer at Mary's Place um, they're just like little tidbits in a way. So it's not 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 a not a full course of anything, not um it's it's nothing, it's nothing big, but it sort of it just gives you little little ideas and things that you are then empowered to look into in some, some greater detail. So so using meditation as an example, the, the last session that I ran with them, we talked about meditation, and actually all the students who were all the staff who were there um were really up for that. But meditation isn't for everybody. And I, I wouldn't force it on them. You do something else then go for a run, do some yoga, do some cooking, you know, whatever it is that you do for your self-care. So it is new. Um, I've run a couple of days so far. We've got an emerging community. What I did do after speaking to a number of my friends about it who were in different professions, they were telling me, look, Julie, you know, this is actually, this is for teachers. It's for yeah. solicitors. Mary Lou was a law graduate, so it was quite nice to be able to include solicitors as well. It's for all allied health professionals, medics, blah, blah, blah. You know, it goes on. <laughs> so I've set up Mary's Place as a community interest company. So it's a not-for-profit company. And within the constitution, it's actually for any newly qualified professional. But just to get us off the ground, because that is just so very, very broad. And when you're trying to get a message out about something that's brand new, then um, when I tried to talk about it in those very broad terms, it sort of got a little bit lost so I brought it back to just nursing for now and in terms of so our project at the minute is nursing and then when we when we figure ourselves out with that and obviously I'm learning alongside the staff in terms of seeing what it is that, that they want what they need I haven't got a, a huge agenda with this um other than to be there to provide that support for those newly qualified individuals and I suppose 
where this really came from is um, seeing those third years last year and recognising particularly that cohort because they'd come in during COVID, you know, as in in the middle of COVID, September 2020, they knew what they were getting themselves into. They'd had a really, really difficult time in many ways. And the thoughts that statistically a fair proportion of them would leave our profession within the first 18 months was just, it just didn't sit comfortably. And that's why I thought, I wonder whether that's that's something that I can try and help with at Mary's Place to just help them feel that they've got that little bit of extra support. I think there's such a need. And I don't think anyone at any point in any of my clinical career, particularly newly qualified, ever said, what are your coping mechanisms? What are your strategies? How do you manage this stress or this, you know, particularly working in trauma intensive care, so many situations and not at any point was that ever even said it was actually only really in covid when the kind of psychologists and the well-being rooms and the free massage you know all the different things that got brought in that that was really the first time um that that was that was ever said and i remember seeing um speaking to one of my colleagues he's a one of my friends he's a counselor and she said you know how do you manage work how do you manage stress what do you do and it occurred to me that i'd never thought about like an actual strategy it mm-hmm. was like oh well I have an early night and I have a bath and I put some fluffy socks on and do you know what I mean I ha- there, ha- there wasn't ever kind of a um a strategic a strategy or a plan um and actually somewhere somewhere in something like Mary's place well it's perfect isn't it, it it's what it's what all newly qualifieds need mm-hmm. um and actually yeah you always want it to be a massive part of preceptorship don't you like yes all of that mandatory training and study days um are important but also actually in terms of people's own well-being and their health and also their longevity in in the career um having something like mary's place to give them the tools to to cope and to manage and to thrive um yeah exactly and having that community as well Mm. you know what one one of the conversations that we've had at at one of the sessions was just it it, it was lovely really and and i'll I'll share it because i think it will resonate for, for many other people So, you know, there was a a member of staff who was new into her post and she just said, oh, I just feel like I've got to learn everything again now, now that I'm a staff nurse. So, of course, that sort of triggered me a little bit thinking, oh, hold on. Are you trying to say that we don't teach the right things in university? You know, (laughs) where's this going? And I just said, can you tell me more about that? You know, what what, what's made you say that? I understand that that's how you're feeling. So what what, what was the actual situation that made you feel like that? And she'd gone to clean um, a bed space. And so it seems pretty straightforward. And but she wasn't doing it the right way. So she was told to do it a different way. So I said, okay. I said, you know, can we turn this round a little bit? Rather than you now not knowing anything, you know, you didn't know how to clean that bed space in that trust where you never worked there before. You know, that that's the bit that you that you didn't know. And then when she went into some more detail about how she went, what what was required in that particular area, none of us in the room would have done. What she was you supposed would have known to do. that, no. <laughs> <laughs> you? You know? Well, it's like they'd go, actually, it's the red pack of wipes that's in the third cupboard in the sluice right at the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah those ones. And you're like, really? That, was that obvious? <laughs> well, you can see, I could really, really see it from her point of view because I'd have done exactly the same as well, thinking, oh, my God, if I can't even do that, that yeah, must mean I can't do anything. And, and a lot of what we're trying to do is just sort of debunk some of those myths, really, because I think once you hear it, sort of said back to yourself you realize straight away that okay that that's a little bit of 
faulty thinking going on. That's just not that's just not helpful. So so yeah, so I, I am. It's it's early days. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. It it feels good. It feels right. And and if it can just help just a couple of people, which which it has done already actually. So you know if it can okay. if it can help people, then that's that's um that's all I'm interested in. Very well. Congratulations. It, it sounds Thank like you. an amazing project. Um, and I've just got another um bit of advice. Um, we've talked about grace and kind of student nurses. You know, kind of grace within the topic of um Mary's place. Have you got any advice for any student nurses or any newly qualifieds at the moment? Oh, again, similar to what I said before about leadership, it's the same message, really. Look after yourselves. You, you, you cannot pour from an empty cup. You know, look after yourself, reach out to people. And in fact, one of the things I said at, at one of our meetings, just all like our Mary's Place meetings just recently for newly qualifieds was, and I haven't got any evidence behind this, to be fair, but just being logical. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they are expecting more of themselves at the moment than anybody else will be. Yeah. You know, so as they start that new job, if you think about it from, from us who are just, we've got a new member of staff coming to the ward. We are not expecting them to know everything. We are expecting to need to show them things. We are expecting to need to support them. But I think you, when you're going in, you don't feel like that. You, you feel as though you've got to be brilliant at everything first time all the time and maybe not even want to ask questions and that's just as we know that's just dangerous isn't it so ask all the questions do not be frightened to ask questions and remember that yeah they've had newly qualifieds and new students and new people to the trust pretty much what every week yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a really normal part of of working in practice isn't it Definitely. And, you know, at a real practical level at the minute, you know, I always say to students at the moment, because of the situation with vacancies, they want you. They actually want this to work. You know, they've taken you because they think that you're that you're a good fit for them. They are going to want this to work. So please just just be kind to yourself. Try and, and it's funny, really, because listening to myself, I wasn't like this at all as a, no. as a more junior. <laughs> as I really wasn't. You know, it's a complete flipping opposite. But um. <laughs> Yeah, if I'd met you 10 years ago, it'd have been a whole different ball game. (laughs) (laughs) I would worry about anything those years ago, but that's what I've learned in recent years. There's just no point in worrying, which doesn't mean that you don't care about stuff, but just sort of be careful where you focus your energy and, um, you know, and look after yourself. Look after yourself, seek support. And, you know, people can come and join me at Mary's place, but, you know, the, the idea of that sort of thing, that, that grace model was just so weird because it's not even a word that I use particularly and it was sort of like because when I wrote it down I thought well, what do I actually mean by this mm. and I thought well yeah gratitude so we'll do some gratitude practice I've since done some research about that and actually gratitude practice does underpin um our resilience so you can sort of see why that is important then so I quite like that reflection when we do that as nurses anyway awareness is something I'm really big on you know really trying to understand you and where you are at that point um, and then, you know, I think that's that's the key to, to it all in many ways. And then the, the, the connectedness and being empowering. So my point of like, sort of reinforcing that is if you don't want to, you know, sort of, sort of engage with the Mary's Place thing, well, have a look at that little model and just sort of see how that works for you. You know, are there some of the things there that can help you practice your gratitude? You know, do your reflections, even if you don't write about them, but just sort of have a little think about what has gone well today. Think about think about the good things. Um, 
and try and develop that sense of awareness the negatives and the, the stress it's so easy isn't it to to go over in your head and spend a lot of time really reflecting on the negatives and actually I don't think most people give enough time for the positives do they yeah so if they can just do that one thing just re- reflect about the, so think about what you're grateful for in the day so what's gone well and then perhaps just choose one of those to do a really positive reflection about and you know and also thinking about well how how can you try and make that good thing happen again then what was it about that that made it so good you know is that something that you can bring into tomorrow or the day after and the connectedness is really important i could go on i could waffle couldn't i, I could go on but the connect but that, that sense of community and again that's from the research the liminality research that kind of being part of a community is massively important so you know build that community around you so that you know that you've got people who've you've got your back be there for you yeah last question of the podcast Um, (laughs) what are your career aims or your goals for the future um you know at this stage in 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 my career now and I think because Mary's place does seem to be um hitting a needle like you said and you know so that I think that's where where I'm, I'm headed really so in supporting newly qualified staff I'm really helping to foster that kind of culture of compassionate leadership I think uh, I follow Michael West's work quite a lot, and I think there's a you know, there's a lot out there about this at the moment. But I also recognise there's massive, massive challenges as well. So, you know, I, I'm not naive enough to think this is going to be easy. But whatever I can do to support those people in, um, you know, in in trying to foster that sort of culture of compassionate leadership, I would love to be part of that in some way. You know, kind of, I've said to um both to my third years and also kind of at Mary's place I, I feel like I'm on a bit of a mission to change the culture from the ground up so that should keep you busy for a few years just a few <laughs> just a minor project <laughs> well thank you so much Julie for joining me today and for sharing your career and your advice and your amazing wisdom and the work that you're doing at Mary's place so thank you very much oh thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure thank you Laura